0: Good morning, Grace. I have to say I'm incredibly grateful for the Balarams. Last week they came and spoke during Sunday school for us, uh, for the students up in uh, our high school Sunday school class. And they pitched this beautiful vision of, uh, a big vision of what missions is, but in a really incredible practical way of just kind of walking us through What does it look like to do missions? Uh, And it was just amazing. Uh, And I sat there just praising the Lord that these are the sorts of people that that we send out and that we get to partner with. And they're going to the ends of the earth in really tangible ways. And then they would come and they'd actually share this stuff with the students of grace. And it was so cool. And I thought it was particularly appropriate because our student ministry this coming Saturday, uh, many members of it at least are gonna be heading down to Mexico for our annual Mission to Mexico trip. And so um, I love that it was an opportunity to kind of prepare the hearts for a lot of these students. And with that said, since we are going to uh, to Mexico on this trip, I would love to invite you to pray for us. Uh, Apart from God's work on this trip, it will be a gigantic fail. And we want the Lord to work and do incredible things. Ultimately, we wanna encourage, bless, and build up the church we're gonna be partnering with. And so we would love your prayers. There is going to be a table in between services right out there that has a prayer guide uh, that we wrote up. And so if you would please pray for us, we would appreciate that so much. Well, today we are going to be continuing our study of the book of Mark. And I had the joy and the privilege of being able to stand before you and actually bring you the word today. And I'm incredibly excited about that. And part of the reason I'm excited is because we are going to be looking at a very familiar passage. A passage that's so familiar that many of us have somehow memorized it in the old King James Version. Render unto Caesar that which belongs to Caesar. So that's what we're gonna be looking at today. And um, even though this is a familiar passage, I wanna encourage you to resolve to open your ears and your eyes and your heart to what the Lord might do this morning. If you're anything like me, then you probably need to hear what the Lord has for you this morning. Uh, Even though this is a familiar passage, it is a good one that we need to wrestle with. And oftentimes even, Because a passage is familiar, we can even miss really what the point of the passage is all about. When I first began to study this passage after my first read through, I was like, well, I'll tell everybody to pay taxes and we will go home, eat lunch early. But of course, there is so much more going on in this passage than taxes. Taxes is in view here, but it's not at all the point of what's going on and what's being communicated to us here. And so, uh, yes, once again, let us be open to what the Lord might do. For by the Spirit, I believe God will take this word and apply it to our hearts. That we might ultimately praise and worship Him. So, Spirit, speak to us. Uh, Two things that I want to bring out from this passage this morning. Two main points. A couple of some points under those. First, we're going to see that God alone... God alone is due our complete and utter devotion. Ultimately, the Westminster Catechism gets it right when it says that the chief end of man is to worship God and enjoy him forever. And in fact, he is due this worship. Second, we'll see that we can confidently lean into human authority for God himself establishes these authorities in his wisdom. And that wisdom part is really key there. So this is what we're gonna be looking at this morning. If you would, please turn with me to Mark chapter 12. We're gonna be looking at verses 13 through 17. And if you don't have a Bible, we have some people in the back who would love to give you one. So please raise your hand if you don't have a Bible um, and they will come and make sure you have one. And I do wanna encourage you, everybody in this room, please actually turn with me to this passage. I'd love for your eyes to be on this. I love that You might trust me and be willing to just hear me speak, but I would love for us to be people who are actually having eyes on pages and feasting on this word together. Mark 12, verses 13 through 17. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. They never learn. And they came and they said to him, teacher, we know that you are true and you do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. And they marveled at him. Once again, first point I'd like us to see this morning is that God alone is due our complete and utter devotion. God alone is due our complete and utter devotion. I think that this is what this passage is really all about. Another way to put it is that God alone is worthy of our worship but also he alone is due our worship. He actually deserves our worship and we should give it to him. I think we see this in the actual question, the central question that's being posed to Jesus in this verse. And so in order to look at this question, let's actually take a step back and look at who's asking the question. The is being asked by two different groups of people, the Herodians and the Pharisees. And this is odd. This is odd Four, these two groups of people should not be working together. They have competing ideologies. They're on different ends of the spectrum. We don't know a whole lot about the Herodians, but we know enough to know that the Herodians and the Pharisees were different. At the end of the day, the Pharisees were about upholding the law. They were religious people, whereas the Herodians were more political people. They were about the advancement of the state, the advancement of their name and the Herodian line they're they're different they're on opposite ends they have different ideologies nevertheless strangely verse 13 tells us that these two groups came together in order to trap Jesus they wanted to trap Jesus and they wanted to do this by asking him a political question and not just any political question an extremely loaded political question we see this in verse 14 is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? If you guys ever had somebody come to you and they ask you a seemingly normal question, but you know there's more there, I never like these sorts of questions, and I feel like working in student ministry, I get them all the time. Well, last week. Uh, I was with our student ministry. We went up to Hume Lake and it was incredible. We had such a fun time, but there were thousands of students, very overwhelming, very fun. Uh, But at one point I was walking back to my cabin and there was this guy and he was kind of standing guard on the pathway to the cabin and he stopped me and he must've been a freshman or a sophomore. He seemed like a pretty young guy. And he stopped me and he asked the question, do you like baby platypuses? And I'm sitting there on the, on the path and I'm like, what? And I look over and I see his little friends and they're like giggling. And, and he said, do you like baby platypuses? And at that point, my shoulders kind of dropped because I realized that no matter how I answered this question, I was about to look really stupid. If I answered yes, he was gonna come up with something witty and i was gonna look stupid and his friends were gonna laugh if i answered no he was gonna come up with something witty and his friends were going to laugh it was a loaded question i did not like that moment so what did i do in all of my wisdom as an adult as a leader as a counselor as somebody who should have some good answer in this moment i go i don't know. and i walk off like this and as i was walking off i heard him utter under his breath well, I guess we aren't friends then. I was like, well, I guess not. (laughs) It was a loaded question. Well, a similar thing is happening here to Jesus. He's getting a loaded question, but he is able to see right through it. He's able to have true eyes to see what's being asked here. And what does he do? Rather than answer it, he does something very interesting. Jesus gets to the why of this loaded question not by just answering the question but by giving an object lesson. Jesus asked for a denarius a denarius a coin and and this is a a coin that's used to pay a particularly divisive Roman tax called the head tax and this tax is a particularly divisive tax in part because of the actual coin itself. The coin uh, has a picture on it. And it's a picture of the current emperor, Tiberius. And there's also an inscription on the particular coin. Uh, the, the inscription reads, Tiberius Augustus Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. So there's this coin and it has a picture of Caesar and it has this inscription, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, or Tiberius Augustus Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. There's really no way around it. This is a blasphemous coin. It is a blasphemous coin. It makes the definitive claim that the Emperor Tiberius is divine, for he is the son of the divine. That is blasphemy. Therefore, many in this time and age believed that to pay this tax was akin to submitting to a false God. It was bowing down before a false God and worshiping him. And so this isn't just, should we pay taxes? This is really an issue of worship. Will we worship Caesar or will we not? This coin and this tax were considered so blasphemous that at one point before this, when this tax was actually instituted, one Jewish man, a zealot actually arose um, went against the state and was ultimately crushed about 30 years later similar things led to uh, led to rome coming into jerusalem destroying jerusalem and destroying the jerusalem temple it's a loaded question we're not just talking about paying taxes here the question really isn't is it lawful to pay taxes i think tim keller Gets it right when he says that the question is Is Jesus a revolutionary or is he an idolater? Is he a revolutionary or is, an, or is he an idolater? Is he going to be a revolutionary and recognize the kingdom of God is so here, it is so present that Jesus is going to stand up and not recognize any earthly rulers and authorities over here, but he is going to lead in a theocratic sort of way against the state? Or is Jesus going to recognize this blaspheming emperor's rival throne as a legitimate throne? A loaded question. But let us see how Jesus answers this question. They want a political answer. Jesus takes them to theology. Verse 17. Whose inscription is this? That in itself is kind of funny because somebody was able to to present the blasphemous coin. Jesus didn't actually have it on him, but those people who were trying to trick him were able to give him the coin with the inscription. Whose inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. What does Jesus do with this answer? At least two things that I want to draw out, two things. First, he legitimizes Caesar's and therefore human government's governing role. He legitimizes Caesar's and therefore human government's governing role. Jesus makes the simple but powerful point when he says, whose face is on the coin? Caesar's face is on the coin, The person whose face is on the coin, the coin belongs to that person. Since the coin belongs to that person, we're not talking about an issue of idolatry or worship if we give it back to them. That person owns the coin so it's theirs to do with whatever they please. It's Caesar's coin, give him back the coin. It's not a big deal. Give it to him. And At the same time, Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God that he has been ushering in is going... is not one that is going to usurp earthly authority in this time and season. For now, emperors and presidents and governors and kings have real authority to govern as they see fit. They have a role to play in God's current economy. And this is significant. This is significant for us because it helps us to recognize that we, the people of God, are to be a people who are in the world even though we are not to be of the world. We might be citizens of the kingdom of God, yes. That is a beautiful truth that we have, but at the same time, we also possess some form of earthly citizenship, whether that be here in the United States, whether that be abroad. There is some amount of earthly citizenship that every one of us possesses. And so this means that in America, for instance, we have certain rights and responsibilities as citizens that are good and right for us to lean into. We're to pay our taxes, we're to do jury duty, we're to do everything that would ultimately make us a good citizen. But this is also significant though because Jesus doesn't say some things here. Jesus doesn't give us a breakdown of exactly what it means to give Caesar what is Caesar's. As much as we might want this information, as much as we might want to know exactly what it means to be a Christian and an American, to be a Christian and whatever political uh, party we're a part of, to be a Christian and in the public square, Jesus does not provide that explicit information. And so while Jesus helpfully tells us that we are citizens of the state, he doesn't tell us exactly how to be citizens. And therefore, therefore we must be a people, who are willing to think biblically about how to participate in this. We must be a people who are diligent in developing a biblical worldview that we might engage in the public square well, that we might be good citizens to the glory of God. In a lot of ways, I think this is calling us to be people who think biblically, and that takes work. Nevertheless, it's what we must do. This is a big task to be a good citizen. It takes a lot of wisdom, it takes work, but it's a thing that I think we're called to here in Mark 12. With that said, that is not where the emphasis is in this passage. That is an implication of what's being said here, but Jesus is not primarily concerned with politics. He's concerned with theology. So yes, On one hand, as a result of what we see Jesus say here, Jesus legitimizes Caesar's and therefore human government's governing role. But more, Jesus says that the Lord is the ultimate authority who is worthy of our worship and he is due our worship. Jesus says the Lord is the ultimate authority who is worthy of our worship and do our worship. This is what everything is pointing to in this passage. Yes, we render to Caesar what is Caesar's. What is Caesar's? Coins. Give it to him. Pay your taxes. Yes. But we are to render to God what is God's. What is God's? Psalm 24 says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it." Everything belongs to God. Everything. God is the sovereign God who created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. And therefore, as the creator, he is the one who possesses the heavens and the earth and everything in them. Everything is to be offered unto the Lord. Everything. But if we're following the flow of thought here in this particular passage, we see that there's an emphasis on things like images and icons There is a coin that bears the image of Caesar, and we're to offer that coin unto Caesar. But there is a coin that uniquely bears the image of God. What is that coin? That's you and me. Mankind. Mankind uniquely bears the image of God. We are created in God's likeness, man is to image God. Man is to represent God to this world. We're to demonstrate his justice, his love, his kindness, his mercy. And on and on it goes to the praise of his glorious grace. We are image bearers and therefore we belong to God. And so here Jesus is saying that we who resemble God, we who bear God's likeness and image are to offer to God what is his. In other words, we are to offer unto God our very beings, our All. We are God's, so we give ourselves fully to Him. Discipleship has been a theme throughout the book of Mark. Um, We've seen it come up over and over again in our preaching and teaching here as we've been reading through Mark. once again at Hume Lake last week, it was so beautiful. That was really the theme of what Hume was going for. They had us look at, uh, at Peter's life. And, and really the consistent message was, is what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? Well, it means you drop your nets and you follow Christ. You're, you're all in, you give up your life, you lay down your life, you die to yourself and you live to Christ. It's this sort of all in mentality. Christ is the captain of our ship. And I think we see something being communicated very similarly here to us in Mark 12. Drop your nets and devote your entire self to God in worship. We belong to him, therefore let us offer ourselves to him. N.T. Wright commenting on this passage says, um, when Jesus says this, he says, you better pay back to Caesar in his own coin, but you also better pay back to God in his own coin as well. We Are God's coins. So, therefore, let us offer ourselves completely and wholly unto Him. I think the picture that we're seeing here is really one of alien citizenship. Alien citizenship. As Christians, we are people who are called to live in this earthly kingdom, but our primary citizenship is not of this world. This sort of thinking is all throughout the New Testament. First Peter, for instance, calls us sojourners, exiles, and strangers. And our conduct is to be exemplary in this life, wherever we are. We're to be the aroma of Christ. We're to reflect his beauty and his character. The gospel says that when we were saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, that we were people who were transferred from the kingdom of light or darkness to the kingdom of light. The book of Hebrews tells us that we are people who have a better home and a heavenly city that we long for. And now 2 Corinthians 3 tells us that as a result of Christ's saving work on the cross, we who belong to Christ are being transformed from one degree of glory into another, into Christ's image. We're being prepared to take on our full citizenship of the kingdom of God. All of this, I believe, helps us to recognize What Jesus is saying here, we are aliens. We are here in this kingdom for a time and for a season. And while we're here, we render to Caesar what is Caesar's. We we be good citizens, but we do this to the glory of God, recognizing that our primary allegiance is not to a king, but to the king, the king of kings. Our citizenship is truly in the kingdom of God. And so... In light of all this, I want to just draw out two implications. First, in light of Mark 12, verses 13 through 17, we must seek to recognize that there isn't any part of our life that is off limits. There is no part of our life that is off limits. When Jesus says, render to God what is God's, he doesn't make exclusions. Being created in the image of God means that we all have worth, value, dignity, and purpose, but it also means that we belong to God. We are not our own. We are not on our own to do whatever we will. We belong to God. And God calls us not only to offer part of our lives, but our entire being. And this is true of every single person who has ever lived. Every person is created in the image of God and therefore they are to offer unto God what is his How much more true is it then for us, the people of God, who not only bear the image of God, but also bear the name of God, for God in Christ has reconciled himself, reconciled us to himself and adopted us into his holy family? Yes, surely we should be a people who offer ourselves wholly unto him. And therefore, let us lay aside every sin which clings so tightly. Let us offer our marriages, our finances, our children, our politics, every single part of us, especially those parts of us that are hard to offer unto the Lord, unto him. Let us lay them down at the feet of Jesus. Maybe a great place to start would be praying that the Lord would reveal what these things are for us because we all have them. I think that's the sort of prayer that God would love to answer for each and every one of us. What is it that we are not offering? What is it that we have that is off limits to the Lord? I believe Jesus is calling us to live our lives quorum Deo, before the face of God. We are to live our entire lives in the presence of God, under the authority of God, to the glory of God. Lord, help us in this. So it's the first implication. Second, Jesus is calling us to render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Yes, but not to render to Caesar what is God's. We do not render to Caesar what is God's. I personally have a great concern for it seems that many Christians have a greater allegiance to state than to God. To quote the great philosopher, rapper, theologian, Lecrae, you are a Christian first. I think Jesus is calling us here to exceptional participation as citizens. Wherever we are, but he is not calling us to render to Caesar that which is not rightly his. You are made in God's image. Therefore, do not render to the Republican or the Democratic Party that which does not belong to them. Do not render to a flag that which does not belong to it. Do not render to a relationship, a person, a sin, or anything that which does not belong to it. Render to God what is God's. Our allegiance must first be to God. Once again, Lord, help us in this. My hope is, is that as we consider this latter phrase, render unto God what is God's, that we would be convicted, but we would also be compelled to greater faithfulness that we would see Christ as worthy of dropping our nets for and follow hard after him, that we would render him our entire lives. I hope that's a result of this. But my hunch is, is that we might struggle a little bit with that first phrase, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. I think that this comes at a particularly appropriate time at this particular point in human and American history. In the past few weeks, We've seen all sorts of headlines come up in our news. Things that say, um, things like Christian bakers fined $135,000 for discriminating against same-sex couples. Seen a SCOTUS ruling in favor of legalizing same-sex marriage. Planned Parenthood, a tax-supported agency, harvests and sells organs. There is a new Iran nuclear missile deal. Raylan and I have had to wrestle a little bit lately with what does it mean to render to Caesar what is Caesar's? We just got hit with a huge bill from the IRS. where We had to pay a bunch of money in taxes and we recognize that part of our taxes are going to fund things that we do not agree with. What does it look like to render to Caesar what is Caesar's? How can we do that? This seems hard. Can we render to Caesar what is Caesar's? What are we to do? This leads to the second point that I'd like to make this morning. The wisdom of God empowers God-honoring submission. The wisdom of God empowers God-honoring submission. If we look carefully, I think we see the wisdom of God on beautiful display in these several verses. And my hope is, is that it deeply comforts us to recognize the wisdom of God here. So in order to see this, let's back up a little bit. Once again, two separate groups here, the Herodians and the Pharisees. And I can't help but correlate these two groups a little bit with the far political and religious right and the far political uh, and religious left. You'll recall these two groups come to Jesus and they do so in order to trap him. And so they spin their web by offering all of this flattery, teacher, We know that you are true and don't care about anyone's opinions. You aren't swayed by human appearance and on and on. And it's crazy because all of that is true. They are giving good theology. They're telling us true and accurate things about Jesus. But they're doing it in order to flatter Jesus. How do you know somebody is trying to manipulate you? They try to flatter you. One of the things you can do to sow distrust in me is to come and lavish compliments on me. I immediately think there's an ulterior motive there and Jesus sees this and he, and he recognizes what's going on here and so they lavish their compliments and they ask the question, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Once again, loaded question and it's meant to trap Jesus. It alienates the Jewish people if he says yes and it makes him an enemy of the state if he says no. It's a perfect question. It's a perfect question. There is zero wiggle room. If he answers yes, he's doomed. If he answers no, he is doomed. You have to imagine that the Pharisees and the Herodians were smug in thinking that they finally came up with something to trap Jesus. They got him with this question. It is a good question. A few years back, I was attending Talbot for my master's and they had us... Do all of these different personality tests. And one of the personality tests was particularly hard for me. It was a yes or no test. And so they would ask us things like, do you have a dog? Yes or no? Uh, do you see invisible people? Yes or no? And then they asked this one question. It was particularly difficult for me. They said, do you have a healthy sex life? Yes or no? And I was, okay. And, and this was difficult for me because at the time I was single I wasn't having sex and I was pursuing uh, personal obedience and holiness as best as I possibly could. And so I'm like, what am I supposed to, how do I answer this question? And I sat there for like 10 to 15 minutes with my, my hands like this on my head going, I don't know what to do here. Because at first my initial reaction was is to mark yes. Okay, but then I thought, I'm at Talbot what if the people reading this think well by marking yes he means that he's actually having sex in a way that is not appropriate and not in keeping with uh, the gospel we should kick him out of Talbot and I was like okay so I'll mark no but then I thought well what if the people who see this are like he doesn't have a healthy se- what does that mean is that mean he's off doing all sorts of crazy bad stuff and I was like, okay well I can't I obviously can't mark no and so I go back to yes. And then I just, I weaved this thing in my mind where I couldn't mark yes or no. I was like Vicini from the Princess Bride going back and forth and back and forth. And I was stumped. After about 15 minutes, I finally marked yes. And I put an asterisk on a Scantron <laughs> and wrote, I put yes because I think that I have a healthy sex life for I am not having sex. I am pursuing personal holiness and I'm doing my best to trust Christ as my all in all. I recognized that I needed an other category here. I very much needed an other category. It's funny as I think about that, that must have said more about my personality than if I marked yes or no on that test. Well, what I want you to see here is that when Jesus answered, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's, he marked other. He marked other. Jesus recognized their game and he refused to play along. They wanted a political answer. He gave them a theological answer. Now notice the outcome here. This is stunning. The outcome of all of this is verse 17. And they marveled at him. They marveled at him. Notice that strong word. They didn't just think that it was a good answer. They marveled at him. They were left speechless. Awe. Oh, they marveled at him. It's a beautiful thing to imagine here. You have these two competing groups. They come together in their hatred for Jesus, they want to see him burn. So they come up with the perfect question to get him. They know that he is dead, he's done. And they come and they ask it. They're doing their evil cartoon laugh and they give him the question and he leaves them speechless. They marvel at him. I think it's striking here. Every account, uh, every account of this story told in the gospels includes that these two groups came together in order to trap him, that they were separate groups. They came giving him flattery. They, they, um, um, They were conspiring against him in order to trap him and then the end result in every one of them was marveling. I think all of this is put there before us that we might see on display the wisdom of God revealed in Christ. This should be encouraging for us. We see God's wisdom on grand display here. And not only that, but in his wisdom, Christ uttered the words, render to Caesar what is Caesar. And he therefore gave us this general rule in how to interact with government. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. We give to Caesar's what is Caesar's. God in his wisdom has established this sometimes difficult rule to follow. Jesus didn't have a lapse in wisdom when he said that first phrase. He didn't think that we were only going to focus on the latter phrase. No, he said this in his wisdom. Not only that, but we can see if we look at scripture that, that government is a part of God's wise plan for ruling this earth in God's stead. Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2 tell us that part of God's wise plan is to establish government, to do things like bear the sword and maintain peace and so on. Daniel 2 shows us that God alone raises up kings, nations, and governments. And God alone tears down kings, nations, and governments. In his wisdom, God establishes these authorities. And this is good news for us. For we can trust the goodness and wisdom of God. And so we can therefore lean into these things. Even if it's hard. It is entirely true that governments have abused their power. And it is entirely true that there is an appropriate time to rebel against the government. But scripture explicitly guides us very loosely in these matters. What we know is, is that we must never render to Caesar what is Caesar's or what is God's. We must never outright sin. When government functions rightly... It is to be an upward-facing mirror. It is to be something that reflects the character of God, particularly his justice, his mercy, his His glory, ultimately. But oftentimes, the government doesn't reflect God, God rightly. And in those times, it can be terribly difficult. Our job, though, is to move forward in faith, rendering to God what is God's, And part of what that means is to render to Caesar what is Caesar's as best as we possibly can as an act of worship. Therefore, let us be a people who double down on what the scriptures say. Let us be a people who develop an ever-increasing biblical worldview. And let us trust in the wisdom of God who established these temporary governments until the day Christ returns. We can trust the Lord. To close, I just wanna draw your attention to the title of this sermon. Uh, It's All to Jesus I Surrender, from the famous hymn, All to Jesus I Surrender. I titled the sermon this way, really because I love this hymn, it is a beautiful hymn, but I think it really captures what Jesus is saying here in Mark 12. Surrender all. Surrender all, not part, not just a little bit of your life, but all, including the parts that are hard, including the, off, um, the off-handed things, children, politics, um, our spouses, our jobs, money, surrender all unto the Lord and trust in him. Surrender all, trust in him. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him. In his presence, daily live. Let's pray. Sovereign God, who created the heavens and the earth, we praise your holy name. You are a good and awesome God, Lord, and we see that in so many incredible ways. Lord, we see that in the fact that you and your wisdom have established the way that this world will work. That there would be things that reflect your character, your goodness, your might, your justice, such as the government, Lord. Lord, in your wisdom, you have told us to render unto Caesar what is Caesar and to render to God what is God's. Help us in this, Lord. Help us to be people who offer ourselves wholly and completely to you as an act of worship. Lord, convict us of our sin. Convict us of the ways that we haven't responded rightly to your character and your gospel. Help us to know what repentance looks like. Help us to trust and follow hard after you. Lord, your wisdom is beautiful. In it, you allow justice and mercy to meet at the cross, and you made a way for us back to you. Help us to rejoice in that this morning. We offer ourselves wholly unto you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.